One year, I kind of got an idea. You know, I want to try trap. I like to trap. I like to make lure, and I like to write. Where can it go from here? I would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money hand over fish trapping, but I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. We got through the furball. This is Northern Michigan. This is what you do. Representing trappers in a positive light. I'm going to ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This will be fun. Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volumes of Perfect and Game magazine. There's structure from Perigo Gorman. Perg Lennon's articles, the Perg Lennon ads. Information, trapping radios. We are trappers on ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. All right, everybody listening to me? Develop a system yet because work it ahead of time to build big trapping. If you got very much the same as the you got bogged down. They started talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down bottom. Probably the best part of the country in the world. I don't know, get them better. Trying to set predator traps and trash waders. The back of that beaver looks like it gets sheared. You better edit this part out. Yeah, it was better. Back in the fur shed, this is Trapping Today. I'm Jeremiah Wood. Thank you for tuning in. Great to have you guys here. We are brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures, K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S.com. Trap smarter, work harder, enjoy the success that follows. Cots Brothers is the trapping supply dealer of choice for the podcast. They have traps, snares, baits, lures, books, and DVDs, everything you need to get started on the trap line. Go to CotsBros.com. We're also brought to you by OnX Maps. Turn your phone into a fully functioning GPS. You can mark trap locations, record your tracks and travel routes, get landowner information, parcel data, figure out who owns what and what the parcel looks like, and look at the latest aerial imagery so you can do your scouting and find the roads and beaver flowages and everything else you need. Go to onxmaps.com. Use the promo code TRAP, T-R-A-P, for 20% off your first purchase. That's promo code TRAP at onxmaps.com. Thanks, Onyx Maps. Thank Cots Bros. Let's get into the episode. Guys, great to have you here again as always. So tonight we got an interview with Mike Miller from Wyoming. Mike has been on the podcast before. We're going to get him back again to talk a little bit about what he's been doing since the last time we talked, we were sometime in the middle of the winter, middle of the trapping season last year when we talked. So um, that's coming in just a minute. A little update. If you go to trappingtoday.com, I did post this morning a fur market update and fur price forecast, I guess you could call it, for 2020-2021. I get a lot of web traffic on the fur price information, so I thought it would be important to um, to throw that out there because I know a lot of people who don't listen to this show and maybe aren't up to speed on what's going on in the trapping world are looking for information on what fur prices are going to look like. And of course, as you know, if you've listened to this, um, things are obviously not spectacular, not even good, not even close to good. But you can go to trappingtoday.com, check that out for a little bit more detail information and kind of a recap of what we've already talked about here on the podcast. Things going on at Trapping Today, the shirt, the Mustelid t-shirt, the absolute beautiful work of art. I've been shipping a few more of those out. Sorry, we're out of extra large XXL and XXXL. Big guys, I apologize. I underestimated you. So I did not order enough for the larger sizes. We have small, medium, and large still available. So if you have uh, those sizes, you can go ahead and, and place your order. And if you want to get a, a larger size shirt, shoot me an email, jrodwood at gmail.com. Let me know. If I get enough emails, I will order another batch of those and, and get them up on the site. I've been thinking about uh, maybe kind of uh, amping up the way that I sell things. So I've got Right now I sell the lure and the shirts, and you can, uh, no, no books, just just the lures and the shirts. Well, you can get the Fur Profit book, actually, I take that back, on trappingtoday.com through uh, Gumroad, which is a really neat company that helps process payments and do the online 
kind of store stuff. But really, I'm thinking about taking it to the next level with something like Shopify, where you have like a full-on store. Um, I've, something I've been kind of uh, avoiding doing for quite a long time because I don't really want to be. Uh, I, I don't. That's really not my style, I guess. <laughs> I don't want to be that. Uh, I don't want to be a trapping supply dealer. I don't want to be one of those um, guys. And uh, I, I just. But however, I have things that I produce that I want to sell directly to listeners of the podcast and to readers of the website, just just uh, regular folks, and not a full line of anything, just kind of things that I I produce and I make, and I I like that uh, ability through this medium of podcasting and the internet to be able to communicate directly with the community and people like you. And be able to sell things that I produce to people like you. So without having a middleman involved. And there, obviously we need a middleman in most cases. You know, you need the, the F&Ts and the Minnesota Trap Lines and the Cots Brothers in order to put together those uh, lines of, of supplies and everything that you need in one place where you can order from one person. But there's guys like me that maybe produce a small number of different products that were very focused on on the quality of the product and they come directly from us and we just we don't want to go through the process of uh, finding dealers and and wholesale prices and big quantities and everything like that we just want to want to kind of uh, share share the love with listeners and and with people that are part of the community uh, with in in the things that we produce so I've got the shirt. I've got the two books. Uh, Walter Arnold, Main Trapper, Stories from One of the Last Mountain Men. Check that out on Amazon. You can buy that book. It's 22 bucks or 20 bucks, shipping included. And it's it's a really awesome book. It's over 300 pages of stories from trapping back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. You're going to love that book if you haven't checked it out already. And it's getting a lot of attention. I've, I'm really amazed and impressed with the number of people that are buying that book. Um, fur Profit, Trapper's Guide to the Modern Fur Market, Amazon or TrappingToday.com. You can find that. We have the shirt, uh, the Mustela t-shirt. And then we also have uh, the Long Distance Call Trapping Lure that I make. And that's been a great product. It's been an old standby for me. The I've used that LDC lure for years, and I, I just love it. But I've I've kind of thought about uh, expanding the whole trapping lure side of things, and I've been I've spent several years experimenting with different lures and testing things out and coming up with different formulations. And I have I have several lures that are kind of I've been through testing. The formulas are good. The ingredients, everything's kind of working together. Everything's good. They catch a lot of fur. They're great lures. And I just haven't brought them out to sell as a product. And so I'm kind of in the middle of that process of trying to to uh, take that step and, and bringing them out as products. So stay tuned for that because in the next few weeks, I may actually have a full-on store online store with uh, trapping today lures uh, the shirts and the books uh, for you to to get on and and check out and help support the podcast and also get your lures I mean you know there's there's a a lot of you guys that have to pick up lures for the this upcoming trapping season why not get them from me Uh, you didn't go to convention because there were few if any conventions uh, out there so you've got to place orders. Um, the the stuff that I make, I don't make very much. I'm not going to make a lure for every species. That's just not in the cards right now. And I think some some of the whole I don't mean to get off on a, on a tangent here, but we're going to go there. Um, some of the lure, species specific lures are are created because they you can sell more lure that way. And every major lure company has lures for each species. And and maybe that's a requirement to be a successful lure maker and salesman because 
everybody wants a specific lure for a specific species. Well, it doesn't exactly work that way. I mean, there are species-specific lures. However, there are also lures that work for a vast array of different species. The long-distance call lure will essentially work for anything except the water animals. And so, you know, any predator that's on land is going to come to that long-distance call. Um, if if I maybe uh, adjust, put, you know, a few different ingredients and turn that LDC into like five or six different lures for different species for fox and coyote and bobcat and martin and fisher, well, then maybe you'd sell a lot more lure that way. But it's it's if I sell a species-specific lure, it's going to be because I have a valid reason that that lure works for one species much better than it does for another based on testing, based on um, knowledge and, and information about that species and what attracts that particular species to a lure. So it's, it's kind of, uh, I guess what you're going to get if you buy lures from me is you're going to get everything out there with no, um, I'm just not a very good marketer. I'm not a good BS artist. I know I've said that before, but <laughs> that's probably why I'm not a good marketer because I can't tell a bull bleep story about uh, how great this stuff is. I I know what it is, and I'll tell you what it is. And if if you if you want to know the exact ingredients, I'll tell you every ingredient that's in every single lure that I make. I'm just uh, I'm an open book. That's just the way I've always been, and that's the way I am, and I'm not going to change that. So. Um, with that said, stay tuned. You might see some uh, lure, big lure offering in the works. I've got one coming that has been an experimental lure for a while. I've used it for a couple of seasons. And I actually last year I sent it out to a bunch of you guys um, to test it and got back all the information there. It, it tested really well. Uh, people loved it. It's an excellent lure. And that's, uh, I've been, I've been making a bunch more of it and it's kind of got, it's kind of setting right now and, and, uh, it's not quite ready for bottling yet, but it will be soon. And I think I'm going to call that predator, that, that lure is going to be predator. Um, I have, so we'll get into this a little bit in future episodes, but that lure is, is a really spectacular lure. It's, it's got a lot of it's kind of a combination of a bunch of different uh, ingredients that appeal to different senses uh, of predators. But I so what I did I added skunk essence to this lure, and I because I wanted it to be a call lure, I wanted it to be something that would call animals from a long distance. But we've talked about this in the past on the podcast about the you know the the positives and negatives of using skunk on the trap line skunk essence has for a very long time been an excellent ingredient for calling animals for long distance it's really hard to beat i mean it's kind of the standard but skunk i've had people mention this to me in the past and i i really believe it's true that skunk can be overused and if a fisher is traveling along the road and every 50 yards for five miles, and I've seen them travel for five miles on the road, believe it or not, even though the home range is supposed to be smaller than that, I've seen fisher travel very long distances up here. And every 100 yards or every 50 yards, they smell skunk. Um, don't you think at some point, if it, you know, if they don't react to that and find food, that it kind of gets old, right? So skunk can be overused. So I, I thought about it for a long time and I decided to make this lure in two different versions. One with skunk essence and one without. And the lure without the skunk essence is is an absolute dynamite lure. It's just not going to call animals from a mile away. Um, so I'm going to call them Predator and Predator Plus. Predator Plus being the one with the skunk essence for the long distance calling factor. But the Predator... You know, that's going to be heavy to um, fermented fish eggs, uh, beaver oil sacks, um, castorium, 
mink glands, and a number of other essential oils and uh, and scents that are are um, they they just they combine to make a pretty incredible lure. It's it's got a lot of calling power. It's a it's a unique scent. Um, it's just it's got it's got a lot of power packed into a uh, small package, and I think it's going to be a great lure for a lot of people. So uh, stay tuned for that. That's going to come up uh, at some point. As always with all these lures, we're a relatively small audience, and I'm making these out of my fur shed in relatively small, very small batches. And so I'm going to throw them up there on the site. We'll see what happens if a bunch of people order them. You know, I'm going to make an effort to to keep up with the stock, but there's a lot of ingredients involved. And if I sell out and I can't get everything, can't make up another batch and trapping season starts, it may not be available. But um, I will certainly keep you up to speed on that lure as it progresses and the availability of it. Also have a lure that I'm going to call Sweetness. It is a sweet lure that um, I developed actually for Martin because um, I, I found that in a lot of cases, the especially in the early season, with warmer temperatures, Martin were not really attracted to that skunk and they weren't attracted quite so much uh, for meat-based foods. They're still feeding on berries and uh, nuts and other things like that. So uh, this lure kind of appeals to those senses and uh, that habit that Martin earned in the early season. It just so happens it's an awesome coon lure as well and uh, awesome e- even coyotes and foxes are curious about it. It's, uh, it's a, a good change up lure, good sort of uh, shoulder season lure, something that will, will be a little different than most of what you use uh, in, in most of your trapping. It's basically uh, a combination of strawberry oil, honey, and uh, anise oil. So um, stay tuned for sweetness to come on the market as well, and we'll have those available. Or we won't. I will. Um, <laughs> I, I always, it's funny. A lot of small businesses say we. You know, we do this. We're doing that. It's really it's one person. You know, it's it's me. So I'm I'm not gonna try to pretend like I'm any bigger than I am. It's just me here in the fur shed and putting together a few lures ahead of the trapping season. Still got to get my traps together, got to get the rest of my Martin boxes made and everything else. So it's kind of overwhelming, but it's always great to sit down with you and do a podcast, and it's great to talk with Mike. I got a few other interviews I'd like to get to here uh, upcoming in the next several weeks. We'll see if we can get those done. I'm I'm really excited about them, and I think you're going to be excited as well. So with that, I've talked way too long and uh, let's get into the interview with Mike Miller from Wyoming and Wind River Trapping Supplies brand new business let's let's get into it so the last time we talked to you I think we were like uh, halfway through trapping season or some something somewhere around there Um, maybe be cool to get an update on how the rest of your season went um yeah so the so the season last year went um we were just plagued Man, we struggled. We, I, I just, I couldn't believe how much I struggled with frozen ground. Um, and my, my whole, you know, all of my coyote trapping just struggled severely all year because of frozen ground. And then I didn't, I didn't have, I didn't start out with wax dirt. I was going to try peat moss, and peat moss works maybe in locations that don't get twenty below, you know. Yeah. yeah. And so I struggled with that and. Finally, just started making. I was I was drying dirt in a in a turkey roaster in the barn <laughs> before I could even before I could even wax it, and um, and so that was a that was a pretty big struggle. Um, what where we were really successful at is we're always we always do really well with coons because that's just something that I mean we always you know we're we always trap a lot of coons here. Um, and muskrat we. We cleaned up on muskrat last year. We just kind of, we trap them when we wanted to. And the population is extremely dense out here. We're right, right, right by where we're at with all the irrigation yep. and the lake and everything right here. So that was really more of a, when you needed bait or when you wanted to, you know, I, I like to, 
facilitate my trap line and make it somewhat successful. <laughs> yeah, you want to be able so, to get, check something in traps. <laughs> right, and, and for some reason, I always, no matter what, and, and I kind of joke about coon trapping and muskrat trapping, is they're like fishing for bluegill. Um, I could be at a walleye tournament, and I'd get a I'd get a bluegill hit on the shoreline, and I'd be standing there vertical jigging for bluegill for three hours, you know, <laughs> um, for no reason whatsoever. But I just you kind of can't avoid. I just still can't avoid seeing good coon sign or seeing good muskrat sign and throwing a bunch of sets out. So we always we always run this really open. You know, our 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 our, our trap line is is we'll have dirt holes and cubby sets for coons, and we'll have. Uh, muskrat sets and floats sitting here and then you go around the corner and it's the dog proof line that's a mile long type of type of thing it's i i just enjoy that a lot more it's it's quite interesting that way yeah i think we had talked a little bit last time about uh rat sign and and where rats lived in east versus west and you noticed quite a difference between ohio and wyoming didn't you yeah, um, yeah, wow, that, it just absolutely blew my mind. Where, where when I was, I was used to seeing bogs, you know, and seeing muskrat, muskrat houses and, and, and going off of that. And I've, I've still to this day never seen, never seen a <laughs> muskrat lodge or anything out yeah. here. But they're every, you know, but they're everywhere. <laughs> and I, I figured out a bunch more stuff about a month getting well-versed in animals that aren't worth anything. but um, So we've got a drainage that comes off of the lake that runs east and west, true east and west. And in the wintertime, it's quite cold here. The north bank of that, of that waterway, and it's recessed about 15 feet. It's a, it's, a, it's a deep trench. The north bank of that, I would set on both sides because there's cattails on both sides of that mm-hmm. waterway. And I never caught a I never caught a muskrat on the south side of that waterway. It's only ten feet wide. Hmm. But the sun shines on the north side. Yep. Yep. And the sun rises and sets, you know, and so when when it got snow, the bank on the south side was always snowed in, the north side was always open. And it was it was little things like that, but before when I was used to trapping in a bog or trapping trapping on living quarters that I never noticed minuscule details like that. Right. Yeah. And so you're, you're looking for holes in the bank pretty much in, in ditch banks. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. We're, so we were, we were running, um, we were running ditch bank holes and, and running some colony traps. And then I ran some bottom edge sets, <clears throat> which, weren't necessarily that successful in that waterway. That waterway is probably, I don't know, eight or nine miles long mm-hmm. and it's all public ground. So we didn't really get for muskrat. We didn't get too far away from that because it was too easy, but there's, there's a lot of debris. You'd pick up debris now and then going down and then we'd start picking up ice going down later on. So we had our bottom edge sets weren't terribly successful. Yeah. just because of sticks and stuff going down there and setting up 110s, but... <clears throat> How'd the colony traps um, work for you? They worked great. Yeah. Um, they worked great when you could find the bank, when you could find the bank den holes. I, 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 like, I really like running colony traps. Yeah. <clears throat> the one problem I did have with them was all of the bank den holes were primarily it you know at a 90 degree angle from the flow of water mm-hmm. and and this water moves at a rapid pace i mean at 30 below it doesn't freeze you know it's it's moving at a rapid pace always out of the lake so i had problem with the current taking them and picking up you know just slowly picking up moss and picking up moss if you didn't pull your colony traps every day and clean them out clean all the little preys and stuff out of them so I got away because it was a, it was kind of a hassle. Yeah. And I made um I made a bunch of 
muskrat. Oh, it's similar to what a hag setup looks like, but it's made with a construction stake and a one by four plank that slides up and down the construction stake. And when you set your trap on it and you bait it just like you would with, you know, you'd stick a nail through your, you'd stick a nail about 10 or 12 inches up above the water and you'd have your bait sticking out of it. Mm-hmm. And I made a bunch of them because I was too cheap to buy hags clips or sudden Valley makes a setup like that as well. And, um, I was having so much fun with that new setup. I kind of quit messing around with colony traps. I quit messing around with the one tens and I just kept experimenting with these. Were you kind of like learning one, as I like went. one and a half coils or? Yeah. Yeah. One and a half. Um, so Wolf Creek one and a half is what I run. And you're setting them right, right it's under true. the water level. Yeah. Well, well, so that's where I just got to like experimenting with everything. I was sitting them an inch above water. I was sitting them two inches below water, right at the water level, just seeing what worked and then how high I was sitting. And then what direction the trap was facing in the water. Like yeah, one of the biggest the current, think, yeah. Right. That's, that's the biggest, the, the biggest deterrent to catching an animal in that setup to catching a muskrat in that setup is which way the trap is facing away from the bait downstream yeah. because the only way the muskrat can only swim to get there because if it swims downstream it just hits it like a tugboat it has no control yeah i mean right and why doesn't a person think of that when you're you know <laughs> doing it on your i was trying to do it on my own and not not research how clint locklear and every pro in the world does it. i was trying to learn on my own and when it was all done and i'm looking at all my notes i'm like well good lord Downstream is like four to one, five to one on <laughs> yeah. compared to the others. It's so simple. Why didn't I think about that? Yeah. Like when you're trying to put a boat on a, if you're, if you're putting your boat on a trailer at the river, yeah. you don't point yeah. the, boat, the trailer upstream because you're never going to hit it. Yeah. But hey, that, those are lessons that you, that will stick with you. Um, yeah, no. And that's something that you read. Right. And that's why I, that's why I said I like on purpose, I didn't go out and seek all that information because it's out there. Mm-hmm. I watched a, I, I watched like a, a five or 10 minute video of Randy Newberg using Sudden Valley, Sudden Eclipse trapping muskrats up in Montana and was like, I dig that setup. I'm going to make my own <laughs> just from scratch. And then I didn't really research it anymore. It's just different than what I'd done. And I knew hags clips and stuff were out there and I know what the, the principle of them. I just never ran them before. And, um, and so I just, that's the way I like to learn. And that's why coon trapping was always fun to me because it was just totally random. You could just make something up and it may or may not work. <clears throat> yeah. And there's a lot of probably opportunities to learn a lot of, a lot of different catches and chances to test things. Right, and it's probably also why I'm not a very good tire trapper. <laughs> I don't know. Coyotes, yeah. are, coyotes are interesting. They can be a challenge. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a blast. I love the I love the mental side of it, you know. And um, and we're we're doing. We didn't finish last year off very well, and we didn't after we talked after after we did that interview. I probably had maybe one or two more weeks I had traps out and I ended up just pulling them mm-hmm. and because of weather and work and some other things I had going on and I didn't really get out on the coyote line much after that. So we didn't, we didn't get any better last year, but, um, I sure, I learned a lot about, I, I just learned so much about sign and movement that, that I didn't know. Yeah. yeah. That's the beauty of having that snow. Oh yeah, and, and we kept it year round, so you could just—I mean, we didn't keep it year round, but for for eight months that I trapped, seven months that we trapped last year, we had snow ninety-five percent of the time. So you could just sit there day in and day out and watch it. And we were we were always a you know we were always a week or two behind the animal because we didn't know what we were doing, and we just weren't aware of how everything was moving mm-hmm. and you know like right so right when we did our last interview <clears throat> all of the sign and movement of coyotes in the one area that i was in 
out on the open range, disappeared. I'm disappeared. Never seen another track. Couldn't figure it out. So I, I kind of went trekking off. And one of the things that we noticed was that all the rabbits on the range land were gone. And we had a really healthy rabbit population. You couldn't really figure out where they went. Really? But I found some rabbit tracks probably a mile or two away. And there's a there's a pond. And it's a good-sized pond out in the middle of this habitat that's drifted in. You can't drive a truck back there. It's probably a half a mile hike. And all of the rabbits had went to this pond area because the reeds, they had drained the pond partially, and all the cattails were really tall. Okay. And provided this great insulation for them to den up in. Hmm. Well, when I went back there, I, I got coyote tracks everywhere on this pond. <laughs> Fresh. The night before, I'm like, what in the heck is going on? They're all over here because all the food moved. Yeah. I didn't, you know, and I didn't, I, I wasn't paying attention to, I wasn't paying attention to that. I was trying to, you know, I was already behind the coyote trying to follow it, catch it, you know, catch it from behind. I don't really know, you know. And um, so we set some sets out there on the pond, and that was pretty, that was pretty interesting. They were experimental of sorts, but I can say I've caught a, I've caught a coyote on the ice in the middle of a pond. On the ice, use a drag or? No, no, I drove a, drove the, the ice is about 18 inches thick. And I drilled, took a, like a masonry bit mm -hmm. and drilled down and drove a wolfang anchor through the ice. Yeah. And had it set up on, there was a little plume of cattails coming out in the middle of the water. And I set it right next to that and just made it look like a, not really a, that really is all that it is. Yeah. But there was just enough brown, and I actually used used wax dirt and kind of spread oh, nice. a bunk out huh. whole, in that whole area. But there's little cattail plumes all over. It's kind of a yeah. swamp, kind of a bottom ground. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it was it was one of the it was one of those cool things. I you know you can say that you've done it, but I don't know how. I don't know how productive. Yeah, you probably wouldn't want to run 50 sets like that. <laughs> no, no. First of all, the, it's a it's a ton of work, but it was it was fun to do. Um, but that then you know that's another one of those deals where they were there. The coyotes were there for three or four days, and then they were gone. Yeah. And then they were off somewhere else, you know. And and everything's so open out here that because I wasn't here preseason and I wasn't following them around, seeing where all their areas were and seeing how their patterns were and stuff. I had no idea where they were going. Now I've got, I've got a pretty good idea in two or three locations, what they got going. Yeah. And you can check, you can on. check one of them. And if they're not there, you know, to go to the next spot to check. And if they're not there, you go to the third spot and your chances are you're going to find them. That was kind of the last success that we had with coyotes, but we kept catching, we, um, we caught a bunch of coons for some folks, and I still have those sitting in my fur shed if anybody wants to buy some coons. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of we, them out there. Yeah, so we got lucky on the, on Tidewise last year. I found um, I found a buyer for, for coon, for my coon and muskrat and skunks. Coyotes are easy to sell out here because anybody will buy them. Right. But um, for my, for my, for my, all my other game, I found a really good buyer. Um, there was needing some. There was needing some to fill a quota, and I was like, I got ten dollars a nose for coon last year. Wow. Which was better than most, you know, better than most people yeah. got for Much sure. Better. Yeah. And and now everything that I sold. The first time, the only thing that I kept was what I thought looked like a 3X or bigger. When I was coon trapping, I was only keeping, I was only keeping the big coon. And, and we catch some just monsters. I mean, they're, they're, they're big bodied coon out here. I really like them. Mm -hmm. But, um, so those were 3X, 4X, um, put up pretty decent. I, I think I do okay putting up coon. I think I'm better at it now, but, um, and so, yeah, I got, I did really well. I got $10 a nose for those and $5 a nose for the skunks. And um, I think 2 or $3 for, 2 or $3 for the muskrat, which I was tickled pink for, for that, you know. And then we, we got, 
I think like the low side, the uh, low side on the Kyle's was $20 and high side was just almost a hundred dollars put up last year that we all sold at that one time. Yeah. And then all my other stuff, I was all this, we, we just kind of kept trapping it, you know, small line, run it on the weekend type of thing. Set leave sets out for two or three days and pull them and go back and set later. And so I've got this menagerie of, of muskrats and coons here. And then, you know, the, the world fell apart and COVID-19 happened and, and auctions died and you know then ever nobody was buying coon nobody was buying muskrat and so we're, we were gonna tan them mm-hmm. and um then we just got busy <laughs> we never tanned them so i'm actually gonna send them gonna send them to grown walls and and just see what i get out of them just to see what the what the coon market's gonna be because I don't know. I know you were front and center watching the watching the FHA auction, and I don't think there was a lot of folks tickled pink about too many animals that went across the board there. Uh, yeah, it'd be hard to call it an auction the way it went. Yeah, it was it was really really rough. To, I, I watched part of it. I had part of it playing in the background while I was at work, and that was pretty rough to watch. Um, <laughs> I I missed. I missed coons and didn't even realize that I missed the coons. I'm like, well, there's no way they could get all, yeah, they went all of those coons, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so apparently it took about 15 minutes to get through all the logs. So that, that wasn't good. Yeah. Um, it was basically, does anyone have any, any interest whatsoever in coons? And the room was silent. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. Yeah. And that, man, that really hurts. Um, Cause that coon market just seems like it's kind of, it's kind of the litmus test for the high end and the low end of the market. You know, if, if, when, when the coons are dead, everybody, everybody's kind of up in arms about what's going on. And, and then, and then I was pretty stoked. I'm like, all right, well, let's see, you know, what did the Bobcats do? And well, that was abysmal. Yep. Um, that, that was really, that was really rough for these guys out here. I don't, I don't get into too much Bobcat trapping, um, yet. Just, I just haven't got, it's one, you know, it's just another um, link in the chain that I'll pick up sometime. But um, there's a lot of guys out here that are really down in the dumps about seeing, you know, no sale in Western Bobcats. That doesn't mm-hmm. happen, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 uh, unprecedented, like a lot of things. Yeah. But um, so, what it, what are your plans for this season? Well, I. I've got, um, you know, per, uh, let's see. Personally, I've, I've got. I'm, I'm always going to run a. I'm always going to run a multi-species line, it, just because. Just because I, I, I do. Um, so I've been spending a lot of time finding markets for each individual thing, so I can make it worthwhile. I'm still struggling with some of the coon. I, I might have found somebody that's interested in hides with heads. For coon, um, I gotta kind of verify that, but I might have somebody that's interested in in a couple hundred um, coon hides with heads for for a different market. He's not he's not moving them on the auction market, but I gotta kind of verify that source a little bit. But um, we're running. I'm gonna trap some beaver and some muskrat for for meat for bait. Mm-hmm. I make. I make my own, I make my own bait and I've started selling my own bait. And so I've got that market and then, um, I've got a local buyer for caster, which is good. You know, so if you kind of look at the, look at the beaver market, if you completely discredit the hide whatsoever, if you can move beaver meat bait, you know, beaver meat based bait and you can get decent get a decent amount of caster out of them the beaver market's not that bad mm-hmm. it's just a lot of work yep <laughs> yeah for sure you know it's 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 just kind of kind of goes back to i used to you know when i used to trap i used to just sell everything in the round and i made a little bit of money and then there was no money in that so then you started to have to start putting up furs and then when they're 
when the kind of the money fell out of that, then you're like putting up the furs and you're putting up the meat and you're cleaning heads and you're selling claws, you know, or whatever, depending on the animal, it's kind of a different deal, but it seems like every, every so many years, you got to pick up another task just to, just to be able to get by with it. But I, man, you, you get really well-rounded and knowing what to do and how to process animals and, yeah, this, this year we're done. if nothing else, this market is going to make marketers out of all of us because we're probably going to have to create uh, things that we can sell out of fur we catch uh, to a large extent. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I mean, I, you know, I think one of the one of the best things for and this is like a side project that I've got going on. Maybe we can talk about later on in the call or later on. But one of the best things in the world for for trappers is to have your base trappers more educated than they were before. You know, the smarter your base is, the the better you are when you're, if you're fighting antis or if you're trying to make the market better, if you've got, you know, if you're just selling everything, you know, dumbly selling everything in the round and just going on, you're, you're you know, you're kind of missing out on all this extra stuff. But if you're <clears throat> doing like, Tyler Selden up in Alaska and got your own website and selling your own gear and making rucks out of the furs. You, you guys have been talking about that and you talked about that with Tyler. That's, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. You know how, you know, he's, you know, I mean, that's his livelihood and, and he's, you know, pretty smartly going about how to, how to take advantage of how to make it work for him, you know? Yeah. So, if more of us are doing that, more of us are knowing more. The whole the whole group of us are getting better, you know. Well, we're, we're more we, educated on the animals. Yeah, and we're harvesting a product that is really valuable. It just so happens that the market doesn't see it that way right now. But fur is incredibly warm. It's incredibly. It's beautiful. It's durable. It can be used for a wide variety of different things. So, it's just a a matter of kind of making that connection and trying to figure out what we can do with the fur that the market would actually consume. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I, that's what we're trying to do. You know, we're, we're, we're getting into, um, we're, we're trying to get into about as many different things as we can because you can't really, Right now, you're you're not wasting anything if you're experimenting. You're right, exactly. You you can. That's a good time to be learning right now because you know you can learn right. how to handle fur, and if you make a cut in the hide, you're not out much. Right. You know. I. I mean, it's it's a it's a great time to learn. It's a great time to get your kids in the fur shed, and be, and you're not worried about them ruining a forty five dollar. <laughs> um you know, a $45 beaver pelt. It's, it's a $4 beaver pelt at best. <laughs> get after it, you know, get yeah. after it. Let's, but, um, it's, it's a great time to teach. Yeah. And then the, the other thing about it is, is I'm not, I'm not somebody on my line that's worried about making dollars and cents when I'm trapping, I'm trapping. Like, that's just like deer hunting to me. I, I'm, I'm a lot different from a lot of other trappers, but I do run a business in the background that's based around trapping that, that does all of that, you know? So, so I'm always conscious about how to make money and how to do that. But, um, when the fur is not as valuable, you're not, you can, you can lay off worrying about running 200 coyote sets to catch only coyotes and go out and mentor somebody, yeah. you know, yeah. or, or, or take your, you know, like, might might slow you down, but if you throw your kids in the in the UTV with you and go out and run your trap line with them and run half as long a trap line, you might find out. I've I've found out that there's more value in that to me than than trying to. I've I've never been a you know I've I've always worked so much I've never been able to run a long line, but um. I'd just assume go check six sets with my kids and have a snowball fight in the middle of it. <laughs> then, you know, run, run 30 or 40 sets as fast as I can so I can get back home. Cause I only slept for four hours last night. Yeah. 
What's this uh, side project you're working on? Yeah. So the, the side project is um, when we moved out here to Wyoming, we like, yeah, you know, Wyoming's like, there's, there's all kinds of trappers here. And I mean, it's just it's the history of Wyoming and everything. And it's great. And it's why we wanted to move here. Let's go, uh, let's go find a local sporting goods store and figure out where we can buy traps and we can talk shop and stuff like that. And there's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it was a surprise, wasn't nothing. it? I mean, I was really, I was actually really, really surprised. Um, it was like, you know, in Ohio, you could go to, cause you could go to Cabela's and they'd have, they'd have a shelf on the, they'd have a shelf where they'd have traps and nobody knew anything about them. Um, and you just had to know your own, you know, but they were there. And, yeah. Right. And so we, we got to, we got to checking around and you can go to bomb gardens and you can buy, like they have one Duke number three on the shelf and they have one two twenty on the shelf and like a number one stop loss long spring. Three traps, and that's it, you know. And I'm like, man, that's kind of a that's kind of a downer. Where where I grew up in where I grew up in Nebraska, we used to have a couple of small town, you know, sporting goods stores where you go in there, and the guy that owns it's been there for 30 years, and he's the only one that works there, and that's just kind of, and you get your stuff there, and you talk shop, and this and that, and well. So we got to thinking about it, and, and I've, I've got a couple of friends in the business that make traps and sell traps and stuff like that. And I'm like, well, maybe maybe we just become that person here, you know? Yep. <clears throat> so I made a couple of contacts and said, you know, what, if, what does it take to get, to get a wholesaler's license just to sell a few traps? And I started with, with Glenn Witchy over at uh, Wolf Creek Products, reached out to him, and 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 Glenn's Glenn's awesome to work with. He's a great guy, and and I, I really like the traps. I, I it's almost solely what I personally run, but um, got his prices. And well, that's you know that's not too bad. There's there's not a ton of money in this, nope. <laughs> but it's you know it's not too bad. And then um, so we took we just took some of some of our own money and we started uh, Wind River Trapping Supplies this spring. And then probably, I don't know, two weeks after the, uh, the shutdown happened in most of the United States, we got our LLC finished through the state and our um, tax ID. It's a perfect time to start nice. a business. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. <laughs> start right uh, at the bottom. Heavily. <laughs> that's right. It's heavily sarcastic. So, so, our, so our plan changed quite a bit. We had like in the fall we'd started talking about it in the fall, you know, and then around Christmas time, we got pretty serious about it and we kind of put two and two together and, and really started talking about how we were going to do it. And we had an investment plan and everything, how much we were going to put into it. And then when COVID started, you know, when the whole coronavirus and all this craziness started, we, we really sat back and we're like, man, I don't know, you know, what, what do you do? Mm -hmm. Can't sell a coon now. You can't do this. You can't do that. So we, we really set back what, what our intentions were dollar wise. Um, so we're, we're just, we're just a grassroots, um, trapping supply company out in the middle of nowhere in Wyoming here. Um, I, I, we haven't, we, we don't even have a website set up yet kind of on purpose. Um, the main goal kind of for the first year was to figure out locally what we were going to sell. Cause as you know, there's, you know, 20 different trap manufacturers and there's, 400 different types of traps and this bait and that bait. And you can go out and spend a hundred thousand dollars and buy, buy traps and, and buy all this stuff. And it's not what people want. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's where we're at right now. We're, we're kind of setting with a little bit of inventory and, and we don't have much, but um, we, we sell locally and deliver locally and everything else. And, and then, as a business, the the biggest thing about it, as a business, it's easier to be an advocate than it is to be just an individual. I don't necessarily know why that is, but I can talk to somebody. I could talk to somebody about a trapping related topic as a business owner in the trapping business and be heard more than, hey, I trap. How's it going? 
<laughs> yeah, it gives you a little bit, yeah, a little bit of a different platform. Right, and and so and then and and we can we can help out. So we're we I work pretty closely with um, with some of the guys, um, some of the guys in Wyoming Trappers Association. The president um, lives right here in town. Tom Krause's right here in town. You know Tom, mm-hmm. or you know of Tom. He's he's a great guy. He's one of the coolest guys in the world to meet, I think. Um, but so we've gotten quite, we've gotten pretty involved with them. Um, there's kind of a big movement in the state here about some trapping reform that they're trying to push. So we're, yeah, what's ha- you know, we're working. I, ha- I saw that in the news a few weeks ago, and I haven't seen anything since. What, what's going on? So basically, there's there's about six or eight different topics that they're trying to break up, bring up with the uh, Wyoming Fishing Game Commission to to look at for new trapping regulations so they're not they're not setting new trapping regulations right now they're just discussing what what's a topic worth pursuing but the commit the um, the, uh, the the game and fish department brought this up right it wasn't the antis correct it was brought it was brought up through the game and it was brought up through the game and parks commission this time um it, it did come through the game and parks commission and it's an, it's a very organized study is what they're doing right now. Um, so that's what we've recently participated in is this very organized study where they get community members, vast community members together to vote. You know, what's, what do you feel the importance of this is? What do you feel the importance of this is? And it's, they're pretty typical topics. Check times, you know, check, um, check schedules, setbacks, um, Changing, like uh, disallowing trapping in certain public areas, like high, highly, you know, highly frequented public areas, and there's a few others. I don't have them directly in front of me to spout them off per se, but <clears throat> um, the big thing with those is, is I we started pushing pretty hard as trappers to get out there and get involved in these initial meetings because, you know, the anti-trapping groups are, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty big advocates for these changes. So they're pushing, you know, they're, they're, they get a pretty good body count at some of these meetings. And Mm -hmm. if, if you don't, if, if you as a trapper don't show up and represent your community, then you have no representation there minus, you know, the, Trappers Association is always going to have somebody there, but you don't get a good population there. Um, you're not really speaking out for yourself, you know. <clears throat> so the last, the very last meeting, we were able to, um, we we got a really good. I kind of I put some stuff out on Facebook, advertising, saying, you know, hey, come on out, let's get involved, and I'm I'm starting to get some followers on Facebook that listen to me. I don't know why, but they do. <laughs> and it, it turned out really well. I I don't mind meetings like that. I'm not somebody that's like I'm not a large, loud, vocal person that hates antis. I think I our country's made up of people with differing opinions all the way across the board. I just um I don't I don't dislike somebody. I just don't dislike you trying to take away. You know I don't. I don't try to take away somebody else's rights that I'm not interested in. So it's hard to say politically correct, I suppose, but, um, so we'll see what's going to come out of those meetings, what they're going to do with that information is they're going to compile it. And then they're going to go back to the commission and say, you know, we pulled the public. These are the topics that we need to consider. Yeah. Say it's setbacks, say it's, um, check times for snares. Um, the big, the big uh, political one around here right now is power snares. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Ram power snares or Seneca snares or something like that. There was, there was an incident last lost year. A dog. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There was there was an incident last year, and you know the world is the world is coming to an end because nobody knew what a power snare was. And they don't know what a long spring trap is either, I suppose. When you talk to them, they don't, you know. So, like, I can't believe that those things were ever illegal. I don't really know what's the difference. It was 
you know, the intent of the, the intent of the snare and the setup that we're legally allowed to use in the state of Wyoming is to dispatch the animal. It's a quick, nothing, humane you know, kill. Yeah. Is there's nothing more efficient at it than a good, than a good power snare. Um, but like I said, it's, it's a topic. Oddly enough, people like to go out in the middle of nowhere in Wyoming and have a little run with their dog. I don't. Yes, and when the dog gets off the leash and it wanders around, it acts like a like a dog does. And well, there's trails where you get snares on them. You got sets out there designed to catch right. the other type of dog. Yeah, things happen. For sure. Right. Absolutely. And the state of Wyoming is not a it, it's not a, it's not a leash law state. It's um. So in the state of Wyoming, you are supposed to maintain the control, you maintain control of your dog. I believe is how it's worded. It's, it's not, it's not a, a leash law state. So folks will go, I mean, it's, you know, they like to hop in their car and drive 30 miles out into the country and go for a run. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of country out here. And, and there's a lot and, of people I, that are moving to Wyoming because it's a great place to live. <laughs> <laughs> right, it it is. It's but the odd thing about it is, in in in, in this meeting the other night, um, like I said, I, I I've got to meet Tom Krause a couple of times, and and he's a really he's a really sharp guy. He's very charismatic too, by the way. But um, he's he's a really sharp guy, and he goes he he brought up something that I've never really that I've never really heard before from this viewpoint that. We collect pretty good voluntarily, voluntary trap information from trappers. We get about 35% of our trappers in the state of Wyoming that report their catch, report their catches and their traps, how many days they had sets out. And there's a survey that we have every year mm-hmm. that's voluntary. And about 35 of us go, 35% that's of us go it out. <clears throat> yeah, it's one of the highest voluntary. Um, it's higher than any of our big game animals in the state of Wyoming by far. So with that data, 35% of a data set is quite a bit in the statistical side of the world. And Tom's like, we can, we can sit down and we can tell you how many hours, how many set hours of traps we have in the state of Wyoming. And then we can compare those set hours to the number of incidents that there are. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the lowest incidents rate, incident rates of any hobby, any sport, any outdoor sport in the United States. And so, yes, incidents are alarming. Sometimes, sometimes somebody makes a mistake. Sometimes there's negligence involved as well. But statistically, when you look at it, it's decimal points in the percentages that's pretty crazy as to how many, how many days, you know, how many trap days per incident occur here compared to other states as well as the the that number is so low that it's pretty alarming mm-hmm. it, it kind of blew mine and and <clears throat> we don't have all of that data as trappers we don't have all that data the state has a lot of it but we have access to some of it um we know all of our bobcat data we have 100 percent data on every bobcat that's that's caught because of the CITES tag system so we can compare that as well and it's it's really impressive as to how how few incidents we actually have when you look at it from the logical side like the mathematical side of it it's pretty it's pretty amazing and that's a that's a it's really important it's really important that you do that because it kind of you can take the passion of both sides out of the conversation with fact, I suppose. Yeah. And hope I'm not going to say hopefully good comes out of it because usually good doesn't come out of things like this, but hopefully no bad comes out of it. Um, and uh, you guys don't uh, don't lose a lot of what you have right now as trappers. And that's that's been a frustrating thing here where I live and trap in Maine is that we've lost over the past 15 years we've lost so much of our ability to you know half the things that you've talked about already I couldn't legally do in Maine on on your trap line 
So uh, that that's one of the things that always is frustrating and, and gets gets people on edge when when folks start bringing things up because yes, it's important to make sure that we avoid problems as trappers, but it's also uh, important to be vigilant that we don't lose what we have because it's very easy being such a small group and such a small minority of the public. It's very easy to get boxed into to something that really doesn't work well for trapping. Right. Absolutely. It, 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 that's certainly the case. And it, it kind of leads back to where, where I was saying before, where nothing bad can come out of a, a more educated trapper. Yeah. The more, the more that you know about those type of things, the more that you take into consideration those details constantly, the more, um, the, the better off you're going to be in that situation, rather if it's an altercation with somebody, you know, you can, you can approach an altercation with somebody as uneducated and unprofessional as possible, or you can come in as professional as possible as, you know, somebody can freak out about seeing you setting traps and, and on public land. And, you know, I, I've had numerous people ask me, well, I didn't even know that you could trap on public land. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, and, and then sit down and talk about, you know, I'd sit down and talk with them about trapping and how, you know, where we're, where we're setting and why we're setting for this and what we're doing. And, and usually when you approach to a certain faction of the population, that's, that's an, an educated response has a good outcome. Yeah. And so as, as we get, you know, if we take, if we take our, our trappers that we have out there and if, if that base knowledge is a little bit better, is a little bit more up to speed on what, what today's topics are, what today's issues are, well, then we're just going to be better. If we know, you know, if we know one of the, one of the big, one of the big sportsman's problems with predator trapping, you know, not really sportsman problems, but one of the issues that you can have in the state of Wyoming is, is the state does spend a lot of money, um, on pheasant hunting they they repopulate areas with pheasants and stuff like that like right out my back door they dump a couple thousand pheasants every year right before pheasant season then we have a special season then in this little management habitat management area well don't go set coyote sets out there fellas (laughs) yeah sometimes it isn't worth it there's yeah, opening day of pheasant season there's going to be 40 guys out there with dogs running around in the grass and they're going to be they're going to be running every square inch of that, of that acreage out there. You know, don't set dog, you know, don't set coyote sets out there, but, um, you know, and if you realize and acknowledge that's a problem and, and you talk about it with your guys and be like, Hey, let's be, edgy. there's, there's other places to go. Save that trapping for before pheasant season and after pheasant season, find another area for that two month time span. And then you just set your, you set your trap line, divide your trap line up. Say I'll set here from August first or from October first to to November first. I'll set out there. Then I'll pull everything and I'll move out into the out into the wasteland. Um, you know the BLM or BL, you know millions of acres of BLM land that we have around here. We'll move out there for a couple of months and then we'll come back. Um, and you just limit that limit the possibility, you know, of make of having an incident. And, yeah, just for best trappers, way to deal with it. Be aware, be aware you're on the radar, and the, the your actions uh, are going to, whether you like it or not, are going to affect how trappers are perceived by the general public. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just uh, being aware is, is a critical thing, and and I even you know I even lean out towards coyote hunters in general because I used to, when I was younger I used to do a lot of coyote hunting, coyote calling and stuff before electronic calls were cool i had a johnny stewart tape caller that i was pretty awesome back in the day with but um that that is the next group of folks that really need to pay attention pay attention to their sport yep that's coming i don't do it any i don't do it anymore but those guys they i mean they're another group of people that needs to get together they need to organize and they need to have a plan on how to how to maintain and save that sport because the public wants the public wants depredation. You know, they want help, especially in this community right here. They want, you know, they want people out there taking care of coyotes. But the other faction of the public doesn't want. <laughs> there's there's the whole negative side of that. 
um, and coyote calling competitions and, and stuff like that. They're, they're coming under the gun and they're, they're going to be coming pretty hard for them. Yeah. Other Those than the trapping, organized. The, the coyote calling coyote contests in general have, have been kind of probably the second greatest, uh, area of target target area for the antis the last couple of years yeah and and to those guys out there i know it's fun and i know it's and i know it's cool and you got your facebook groups and everything but man when you post a picture when you when you post those pictures and you post your ads and and stuff like that just just be smart about it talk about the sport talk about the sport and the light of what you're doing and not not that you're out head hunting because that's not really what they're doing and that's not who they are, but it's the way it comes across to some of those folks and, and don't, don't give them the rope to hang you with, you know, it's, it's, I think, I think there's some areas that are, they're coming really hard for that. Yeah. Harder than most people are expecting. I, I do believe. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, sit down with Mike and I have one more part of that episode that we're probably going to air next week. So that was, uh, we, we went on and on and on for a long time and talked about a wide variety of different topics. As uh, per usual, it's when you get talking with other trappers, it's hard to slow down. But let's get into the Cots Brothers deal of the week. All right. If you're walking down the road, if you're on the trap line and you're going down a dirt road and you see a $5 bill on the ground, you're going to pick it up, right? You're going to stop and pick that up. That's what Cots Brothers Lures is offering you today. $5 for simply placing an order. Use the promo code JW5 at checkout for any order of $30 or more. You get 5 bucks off just like that. No strings attached. Uh, just a sweet $5 discount. Now you got to have a Cots Brothers um, account. And it's very easy to sign up for that if you haven't ordered from them before. If you've ordered from them, you already have an account most likely. So very simple and straightforward. And when you have an account, you start earning those bonus points for every dollar that you spend. Um, I earned a heck of a lot of bonus points this week because I picked up a bunch of supplies and some lure making stuff and ingredients and stuff that I needed. So... um, yeah, I stacked up the points, but I really hurt the bank account there. So be careful with that as well. <laughs> but uh, I, uh, Kyle's probably probably going to give me a hard time for using my own code, but I want to make sure it worked, right? So I got the quick five spot, JW5, and got the $5 off of my order of about $500. But <laughs> anyway, um, go to cotsbros.com, order whatever you need, anything over $30, Use the code JW5. It doesn't expire for a couple more weeks now, so you should be good. And uh, get it done. Support Cots Bros. Support the podcast. Most importantly, get out and get ready for the trapping season. It's coming. Thanks, guys. We'll catch you on the next episode.